Well, greetings, listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Oh, I almost forgot government. We originate from and connect the gateway city to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. We have two state representatives in the House today. They're, they're here to talk to us about the end of the legislative session in the state of Missouri. We have Sarah Unsicker. She is state representative for the 90, 91st District. She is has been elected for six years. She's the Minority Caucus Policy Chair and represents these committees, Children and Families Budget, Downsizing State, state Government, Subcommittee on Appropriations for Health, Mental Health, and Social Services, Joint Committee on Public Assistance, and Conference Committee on Budget. That You're very busy, Sarah. Yes. And then we also have Joe Dahl, who's state representative for the 83rd District. She has been elected for two years. Agricultural Policy, Professional Registration and Licensing, and Special Committee on Government Accountability. And I've known both of them while. I've known Sarah as... I was running for the Board of Education, Sarah was running for state rep, and I know Joe from being on the Webster Groves Board of Education. Ladies, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to be here. Now, I guess it's like, where do I start? Because throughout the last several months, we've been watching the legislative session. We highlighted some of the gun bills that were going before the legislature and highlighted that one makes sense to normal everyday people that one doesn't make sense and i don't see that any of them passed which is probably good maybe we need a little bit of a couple things but just for you to know it at home folks 44 bills were passed this session and i guess let's just start it this way and sarah because you're you've been around a long time in, in in the legislature six years which you just have one more term after that right that's right yeah, that's the term limit thing, and I know people have, they didn't have a lot of good things to say about that, because you just about get your feet wet, and you know what you're doing, and then it's time to leave. I still feel like I'm fairly new in the legislature, and I'm still learning things every day and every week, and so the idea that I'm going to be a senior member of the legislature next year is frightening. How much, I'm just going to ask questions that I've always wondered about. Mm-hmm. How much dependence do you rely on staff to do certain things? I rely on my assistant, Nancy, a lot to help with, especially with constituent matters. She answers some emails. She contacts legislative liaisons when there's issues, for example, with with utilities or with social social services. You know, she'll contact those those liaisons. And if you're going to propose some legislation or write a bill, mm-hmm. how do you get help for that? Because, you know, so, it's not like you. everybody went to writing bill class 101 or something. Thankfully, like. there's a lot of help there for that. There's a lot of help for that. Okay. How so, does that process work? So when we have a bill, we bring the bill idea to the drafting people, mm-hmm. the drafting staff, and they look at the 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 idea and they turn it into a bill and they'll write the bill for us and we'll look at it and make sure it does what we want it to do and that's how we get it filed. So there's a research staff and there's a drafting staff and they all work on that together. Are they legal background kind of people? Yes. Okay. 
And are they specifically to like party affiliation or are they non no, non nonpartisan staff? Oh wow, okay, that's interesting. But we can also bring bills to them. I had a bill idea that I brought to them and I wasn't real happy with what they gave us. Mm-hmm. And so I pretty much wrote the bill myself. As a lawyer, I can read the legislation right. and read the statute and kind of knew what I wanted to change. So I wrote that bill myself and filed it. I'm sure that's probably much more beneficial than your background, Joe, or my background, or anybody who's not an attorney. What kind of struggles did you have as you, let's go back to the very first day, you walk in and it's like this immense responsibility and it's wow. Absolutely. And it's definitely very overwhelming. I think you go in with certain areas that you want to focus. And I, the people like Sarah are immensely helpful. Gina Mitten, whose spot I took, was very helpful to me just figuring out what to do, how to figure out what legislation you want to file, and just the process. And we also, as a caucus, the Democratic caucus have staff that are amazing, who will um, bring you bills that have been filed in the past, that they're looking for someone to file, or if you have some general idea, they'll help you narrow that down and figure out what you could, how you can turn that into policy. Yeah, because sometimes these bills, they have several years before they really break through, don't they? Absolutely. Some of them even more than just several years. Mona, the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, has been filed for more than 20 years, and it still is filed every year and hasn't passed. So that's a bill that would prevent entities of the state or businesses from discriminating against an employee or against someone in housing based on their gender um, identity. Why, and, why do, maybe this is a, it's not a facetious question, but why would people want to oppose things like that? And, and where does the pushback come? Does it come from it never gets to committee, it never gets voted out of committee, or things like that? That's what happens a lot of times, is it doesn't get assigned to committee, or when it gets assigned, it might not get out of committee or it might not make it to the floor. That's where the resistance comes in, is a few people don't want to see it go through, so they don't push it through. And in reading some of the bills that had been proposed, I think there were like 2,200 bills that had been proposed, and 44 made it through. And there was a comparison on a website I was looking at that this is a very low year, but I think uh, 2020 was the lowest year because of the pandemic. But there were times when there were 175 bills that were passed. And do you get discouraged, encouraged, or we read things in the media, we see things, and there's things on social media about what happens in the legislature. How do you react because you're there to dealing with maybe running into a brick wall or people not being considerate of one another or civil with one another? It is definitely very frustrating, and I think your first year, it's a little bit eye-opening. And I think for me, just the concept of how few people control things in the House. And I think as a second year, you come back and you're essentially hearing the same bills again that you heard last year that either obviously didn't pass. So it's incredibly frustrating, and especially if you're part of the minority caucus where we can't even get our bills heard because they don't get referred anywhere. Yeah, you feel like you're beating your head against the wall a lot of days. Yeah, I remember my first year, there was a bill that went through one of my committees, and I think I was the only freshman member on that committee. And 
they basically said, we've heard this bill before, we know what it does, so we're not going to discuss it really. And I said, I'm new here, I haven't heard this bill before, and it needs to be discussed every year it comes up. And they just went ahead and did the bill without. Now, is that typical? Because I remember when I was growing up, the state used to be very democratic. And I don't know what the Warren Hearns was governor, and he had the whole nine yards. And then it's come 180, and probably will, I'm not a predictor, folks, I'm not saying, but I just know how things ebb and flow, that they go from one extreme to the other, one pendulum, it swings back and forth the other way. Was that the case historically that you know of, or were you taught any of that stuff in House of Representative Class 101? (laughs) (laughs) If only there was a House. We talk about that a little bit, but I think... I know the Democrats prevented a lot from going through. I don't know if it was as dramatic as it is now. Because it seems to be there's more really tense interactions than maybe there were before. Yeah, so Democrats have 49 members out of 163. Mm -hmm. This year we filed 531 bills, and 20 of them were assigned to committee. Mm. So we don't even get bills heard. We don't even get them assigned to committee most of the time. So, What would cause that to change, you think? We could change the rules of the House where, the speak, where people would be guaranteed to have at least one bill assigned to committee, for example, or the Speaker would have to assign so many from the party and from the Democratic caucus. But it would require the Republicans to give a little mm-hmm. bit of their power. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're willing to do that. Not, not, with, this, not with this crew that we've seen right. in, in action. Something I found that's very refreshing, though, is unlike the federal group, the Senate and the House, mm-hmm. you all have to be in session. You have to be. You can't just be like uh, in your office doing something and when the vote comes up, I'll do a vote. You have to be there. If you're going to vote, you have to be there. Now, how about when there's discussions? Like, don't, aren't you all called into session other than times where you have to meet in committees and things like that? Yeah. We don't meet in committees when during session. Okay. So when we're in session, there's no committee meetings. There shouldn't be other meetings with lots of representatives. But, but Maybe you know, the daily session. During the daily session. Yeah, at least you're all together, but though. Yes. We're all, there are times when we meet with constituents or mm-hmm. lobbyists. We People ha- want to have discussions with us and call us off the floor. There are some representatives who will spend significant time in their office while we're in session. We can listen to the floor debate from our phones in our offices, Mm -hmm. but we can't participate from our office. How many people do that? Because I have found that if everybody, and I'm not just speaking about Jeff City here, I'm mainly focusing on D.C., Washington folks, if everybody had to be there and sit and listen, they may, you know, want to help cooperate a little bit rather than take the easy way out. You know, these people get up there and do a speech and nobody... I think that the key factor is the word listen, because I think even when everybody is in the, on the House floor and somebody's speaking, there's a very few people typically are listening. Right. They're on the side having conversations or they're having discussions amongst themselves. Yes, in theory, it would be, you would think that, that would be the case, but I think there's a lot of times where people are there, but they're not. So, Sarah, you mentioned lobbyists, and when I think of lobbyists, I think of people, they're representing a certain group, a certain portion of people, maybe a right. business, a corporation, or something like that, and they have a specific purpose of why they're there. They're paid to get votes or get legislation through. 
how much pressure do you as a legislator, and both of you can answer this, mm-hmm. face from lobbyists to do X, Y, or Z? I wouldn't call it pressure so much. They mm-hmm. try to they try to persuade me. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll bring me arguments and say, this is why this bill is good or why this bill is bad or mm-hmm. why we need money in the budget. It's not so much pressure mm-hmm. as a relationship. Okay. I would just say I think that they – a lot of the lobbyists also know where you stand on issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're not going to, a charter school lobbyist is not going to spend a lot of time with someone that they know is pro-public education or they know where to, to put their time. And they can be incredibly helpful because they can also, because of term limits, there's a lack of institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so the lobbyists hold that. So your first and second year, I feel like they actually are really helpful in telling you the history of how things got to where they are. And they can also because they have that knowledge, guide you in terms of if you want to reach out to somebody in the Senate or someone on the other side who would be a friendly person to reach out to. So I don't ever feel pressured from them, no. honestly. Okay. And you always hear these stories. It's only the, the horror stories of the lobbyist has funded some trip to Paris or something. I'm, I'm being dramatic here, folks. Mm-hmm. Or, or let's go out to eat. And I understand the lunch things because a lot of times – or golf. I understand a lot of business takes place in a social kind of atmosphere, but there have been other perks that people have gotten that they've gotten in trouble with over the time. And there have been legislation set up to prohibit those things, correct? So after Clean Missouri, they can't, we can't accept anything from a lobbyist. Yeah. So a $2. So when I came in six years ago, there were no limits on lobbyist gifts. And they would frequently hold receptions in the evening with some food and some drinks and invite the whole legislature to come and talk to them. But we, it was really when we t- a good chance to meet each other and get to know representatives from across the aisle mm-hmm. and senators, too, and people who we wouldn't otherwise interact with. And those have stopped, which is really sad because that was – it facilitated bipartisan work. So there's no intergovernmental kind of group that kind of gets together and says, hey, let's just get together and have a barbecue, and it's sponsored by the state of Missouri. It's paid for by the taxpayers. Or We have some of that. Like we had the governor's barbecue when the governor invited everybody to the lawn of the mansion, all the senators and representatives and their families, and they, would, and they served us barbecue, and it was paid for by the state. And it was a good chance to get to know other representatives, but that's not as frequent as it used to be. And there are some bipartisan caucuses, like the Sportsman's Caucus, and Mm -hmm. there's an English business, I don't know the official name, caucus, Yeah, trade. So if you're part of those, you do get a chance to see people in a a setting where you can actually talk. So maybe leadership of both parties... You need to get together to co-mingle and sponsor something and use some of that uh, donor money to uh, bring people together in Jeff City. Just a thought, leadership there. (laughs) St. Louis Intune strives to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories and interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. Our topics cover a wide range 
such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and even sports. And that's just to name a few. While St. Louis in Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we connect to what is going on nationally as well. If you enjoy what you hear, please take time and share and subscribe to this show and listen to other previous shows that can be found on our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. Or on your favorite podcast platform, that's stlintune.com. STL intune.com and if you've got an idea that you'd like for us to examine a little deeper let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com that's stlintune at gmail.com St. Louis in Tune heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the US and of course right here in St. Louis our website again is stl Intune.com. We want to hear from you. STLintune.com. We are talking with Sarah Unsaker. She's the state representative for the 91st district, and Joe Dow, state representative for the 83rd district here in the state of Missouri. We're going to talk now about some legislation. What stood out to you as some successes in the legislation this year? Let's see. The one thing that I really worked hard on and cared about was the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights. And that had some provisions. It created a Bill of Rights for Sexual Assault Survivors. It created some human trafficking crimes, crime soliciting a sexual performance from a minor, for Mm -hmm. example, and also made the Department of Social Services gave them some more power to help victims of human trafficking. So that was an important one for me. Absolutely. And these are bills now on the governor's desk, right? Yes. Okay, okay. I would say it's huge that we finally fully funded Medicaid. For the first time since 1991, we funded school transportation. Now, I saw that. Is that really fully funded? or is It actually is fully funded. They didn't oh change gosh. the formula to call it fully funded. <laughs> um, and we, we have to thank Sarah and our amazing budget team who got a lot of good money in the budget for things like um, student transportation. We raised the minimum teacher pay, which probably doesn't do a lot for, I'm guessing, urban districts or suburban, but for rural schools definitely could make a difference. And the one that you don't think about a lot is that we established prison nurseries so that people that are incarcerated and give birth can keep their baby with them for 18 months rather than having that baby taken away. So that will make a huge difference for a lot of women currently incarcerated or in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another thing that we passed in the budget was filters for schools to filter out lead from the water, Mm -hmm. drinking Mm -hmm. water, Mm -hmm. and that was a really good one because lead contamination is a real problem in Missouri. So if we can... Help filter it out of the water. That'll really help kids. Interesting. There was also, we were talking a little bit off air about some appropriations for that the state has or has not done as it relates to, I'm trying to think of what that was. Federal fund. Oh, federal the federal funds. COVID funds. COVID funds. COVID yeah, funds. there was. An, the health department hasn't done that. There was an article today that came out in KFF, I think that said that Missouri hasn't spent its COVID relief funds from from the health department, from the state health department. And I'm 
working to verify that and make sure that's true. And it's possible that the funds weren't appropriated until this year, so that the State Department didn't have a chance to spend it. But I don't know exactly why that that is. So when you talk about appropriating the money, explain that because some people think, gee, the the you know DC sends you the money, cut the check, spend the money. What that's what the budget committee does is we appropriate the money. We sit down at, with the budget books and think and look at how much money should be spent on each program in Missouri. And the budget book for each department is hundreds of pages long. And we go through those, and we, and the budget chair puts together a budget based on the the department recommendations and the governor's recommendations, and that's how money gets appropriated, which is just authority to spend it. Yeah, that's the key. You can't spend the money if you haven't been given the authority to spend it. Right. So they could be just, hey, we're waiting for mm-hmm. the authority to do that. Yeah. Then on the other end, you have where there's been money that's been appropriated. That shouldn't have been appropriated, and now they're trying to get the money back, which was the unemployment overpayment to $150 million. So what happened there, with COVID, there was a lot of unemployment relief money that came went out, and some of it, the department now says they made a mistake and people shouldn't have gotten that money. But it was not through any fault of the recipient. So now they're going back to recipients where they think they overpaid and asking for their money back. And this is money that's been spent by these recipients on utilities, on mortgage and rent, on things that they needed when they were out of work because they wouldn't have gotten the money if they were, if they had been working and getting a paycheck. So was the, was it, it wasn't necessarily a misappropriation as much was it what was like i know people always want to find out they want to point the finger at somebody or is it was it like a spreadsheet error or what was the what do you think that was i can't tell you exactly why it happened it was the department of revenue i think is that right that's right yeah but i know our computer system is so outdated in missouri just in every department that it was probably something coded wrong or something not in the system that caused those errors. Interesting. And the governor was asked by the federal government to forgive that and, and let I it think go. so, but yeah. At this point, that hasn't happened. Right. It makes me wonder, we have a system like that, and then the, a computer system like that, and then we also have the snafu that the Post-Dispatch found some records that uh, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education had left open on the web, and mm-hmm. it makes people wonder what in the world is going on up there. Why are we a little antiquated? You would think the government would be a little bit tighter with that stuff. Right. So the computer systems are outdated by years, and the Republicans have been in power for 20 years. And Get they, together, Republicans. <laughs> they could have appropriated and kept our computer systems updated over the years, and put money aside for upgrades to these computer systems, and they just haven't been doing it. And now we're at the point where our computer systems are at the point of breaking. For example, for Medicaid applications, they can only take application calls and process applications during the daytime hours because in the evening they have to shut the computers down so that they can process the applications that went through that day. 
Mm, Modern computers would process those applications immediately, but the computers we have in social services just can't do that. Wow. But am I right? Did we appropriate the money this year to help? We did appropriate. Yeah, we had a surplus of money. We had a lot of federal money that came in from COVID relief, and we did appropriate money to solve that problem and a bunch of other computer infrastructure problems. Yeah, there was a discussion that there was like, oh, gee, we have what, I, I'm, this figure's probably wrong, like $9 billion left over, and we don't know what to do with it, so we're just going to sit on it. A lot of that the governor had appropriated, but the budget chair decided that it shouldn't be appropriated for multiple years. Because what the governor do- did was say, okay, we have five years to spend this, and so we're going to sp- we're going to put it all in the budget this year and spend as much as we need and can spend this year. And the budget chair said, no, we're just going to put one-fifth of that in the budget for this year. And then the next fifth will come next year and every year after that until it's spent. Okay, that makes sense. Because what I heard was that there was this money and now everybody in Missouri is going to get money back. We did do... A bill, and this made it to the budget, it hasn't been signed by the governor yet, that says that there is $500 million to refund to taxpayers. There's an upper limit on it, and there is a lower limit on it. And about a third of Missourians fall below the lower limit to who gets the money. So the people who make the least and pay the least amount of money in taxes aren't going to get any money back from this. It's only going to be middle-income earners who get up to $500 each per adult. But that's only if there are no more applications than that $500,000. Because if we get, there's 6 million people in Missouri. Mm -hmm. So if we get a million applications, then that would be 50 cents per or no, that would be if we get a hundred. If we get a hundred million dollar, a hundred million applications, I'm trying to do the math in my head. It's not <laughs> yeah. working. It does. That's why I use a calculator. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, if we get more applications, then would be appropriate to give five hundred dollars to each person because if we would go over that five hundred million dollar amount, yeah then that amount that we give back is reduced. It sounds like sometimes that the, the more people that would apply for it, the less money you'd get, and then sometimes it would cost more to produce the check or whatever than it would be to that the check's even been worth. Right. Exactly. And I, yeah. I think somebody estimated that more than likely people will get back in the 200 to 250 range. So, wh- so. what's the thought on just retaining the money or is this the famous what's it called where the law comes into place where you can't take in any more money than you're supposed to expend what happened our budget chair signed off on one of his speeches saying taxation is theft he really doesn't believe in taxation and he wants to give money back to taxpayers but only income taxpayers not necessarily people who pay property tax or sales tax sales tax right Personal property tax. So it goes back. So he doesn't believe in taxes, so he doesn't believe in services then. Now, you don't have to answer that. I'm just, I can say. That would be the logical conclusion. (laughs) And he said that on the House floor, didn't he? Yes, he did. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, it was pretty contentious on the House floor this session, wasn't it? It it was between the Republicans and Democrats, but also within the Republican Party. There's a lot of infighting, so. 
especially over the congressional districts? Was that that really- was more in the in the House? But yeah, definitely. There's that conservative group of Republicans that are always butting heads with the the more moderate Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the conservative Republicans wanted a certain Senate map that didn't really have the votes to pass. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how that one relates to the map that actually did pass on the next to last day of session. But it's, they were set in what they wanted and they weren't willing to, to give in any ways on that. And that jammed up a lot of session. It doesn't, politics is about give and take, ebb and flow and realizing when you're not going to win and realizing when you are going to win that you don't need to stomp your opponent to rub it in. That's just, I think, common courtesy. But But I think their fear of it ending up in the courts was was enough that they finally did get it passed. And it still may end up in the courts. For us, we feel like that would be a good thing. Exactly. But, yeah, the districts are supposed to be contiguous, and Webster Groves is entirely in the first district in this map. But there's a little finger that right next to Webster Groves in Brentwood and Maplewood that's in the second district. Mm. And then St. Louis City is all in the first district. So Interesting. mostly in the first district. Webster's so. kind of a peninsula on the congressional maps. Yeah. How about, let's see here, we talked about education, the voter ID bill. What do you guys know about the voter ID bill? A show a photo ID at the polls. It would ban ballot drop boxes and allow for what I love, no excuse absentee voting two weeks before. Right. The no excuse absentee voting is a good provision in that, but the rest of it is really anti-democratic. The, requiring people to show a photo ID requires them to get and have a photo ID and not lose it for people who may be transient in their living situations. And they have to, there's a limit on how many people someone can register without the person registering people um, signing up with the Secretary of State. So if you want to register more than 10 people, for example, at a voter registration drive that the League of Women Voters might put together, they have to register that with the Secretary of State and get the Secretary of State's approval to do that. Okay. Sir, if, if, and I've heard people say this, and I just need to get a response from one or two of you, is that, and I don't know if this is true or not, people who are on assistance have a photo ID card. Is that an issue? Can that card be used as like a state ID card? I don't know that. I don't know that. Okay. Okay. That was never something we discussed. No. So I'm not sure. I've, I've heard that, but I don't know. Yeah, very well know. could yeah. be. I'm not sure. I heard student IDs cannot be used for a photo ID card. It has to be an official state. It has state. to be an official Like a state-issued state one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, like driver's license or there's a non-driver's license right. identification. So you couldn't even use like a, a federal passport or anything like that? Oh, uh, I think you could probably use your passport. Probably. Yeah. Okay, okay. I guess it's more more of a government-issued ID as opposed to a Missouri-issued. Gotcha, gotcha. The Fast-Track Workforce Development Incentive Program Expansion. So this one, folks, covers college tuition for eligible Missourians 25 years or older seeking a certificate degree or industry-recognized credential. 
in a high demand field. And Joe, I see that you're on the Agricultural Policy Committee. I'm actually no longer on the Agricultural Policy oh. Committee. I'm on the Health and Mental Health Committee instead. Okay. And the Legislative Review Committee. So my first year I was on agriculture, and this year I was on health and mental health and legislative review, as well as the other two. They um, need to change that on the House website. <laughs> I, I, well, I, apparently. Yeah, I'm learning today that is wrong. <laughs> Did I read all yours correctly, Sarah? No, actually. You read, <laughs> you read that I'm on the Downsizing State Government Committee, and yes. I was on that last year. I got off of that so that I could get on a different committee this year. And then the House Minority Caucus Leader requested that I get on that other committee, and the Speaker decided not to put me on that committee. Oh. So I, I just had one committee less this oh. year. See, I gleaned all that. I cut and pasted <laughs> that right from the House website for each one of you individually. Again, our state yeah. computer systems are not very or, or it's the <laughs> accurate input or, or yeah. the people How inputting that information. How important it is to do that. How do you get assigned to be on a committee? So, or can you say, gee, I'd like to be on this committee? Yeah, the minority floor leader sends out their office sends out a form at the beginning of the session saying, what committees do you want to be on? What are your what are your preferences? And then she requests that she requests those committees to the speaker. First, she goes through and decides who can be on what committees that she requests. And then she requests that to the speaker. And the speaker decides finally who gets to be on the committees. Wow. A lot of uh, responsibility and authority. A lot of control. And they probably do that by geographic area, by urban, suburban, rural, wanting to, or gee, we want to keep our friends happy here, or if you're on the good side, you get what you want if you don't. There's a lot of that, but there's also a lot of expertise on some committees, like Health and Mental Health Committee that Joe is on. She's a physical therapist, so she has a lot of medical expertise, and so it's good for her to be on the health committee. Makes sense. And I'm on the Children and Families Committee, and I did family law before I Makes sense. Teachers a lot of times get put on the Education Committee. They really do try to pair you in an area that you are are knowledgeable about. Yeah. That at least... um, it makes sense, but <laughs> to a degree, <laughs> only if the bills related to that go through those committees. So a lot of the bills that should have gone through the Children and Families Committee this year went through different committees, oh. and not through Children and Families. And they went through committees with people who didn't have the same level of expertise and knowledge about family issues. So some things passed through those committees that may have been changed. That's very interesting. I, I smell a quarterback end around. <laughs> did I say that? Oh, I did. If you've missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis Intune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There, you'll find every show from our first to our most current. Use the search engine to look for a show that might interest you from one of the many topics that we've covered. Don't forget, check out our website, stlintune.com that's stlintune.com we are having a legislative conversation with state representatives Sarah Unsicker and Joe Dahl from the 91st and 83rd districts respectively Sarah you were talking about 
bills that may be going through in one legislative session through one committee, and then the next year they may go to another committee where the expertise of those, of that committee is not what it should be, i.e., I'm going to use this as an example, a health bill, which maybe didn't get through the health committee, now all of, all of a sudden is going through the fine arts committee. And I, Now, this is not truthfully, but it, it sounds like an end around to me. What's the deal there? It really is, and there's personality conflicts between the speaker and certain committee chairs, so he doesn't send bills to that committee, for Aren't example. they all on the same? They're uh, in the same party. Yeah. But there's somehow a conflict, and the speaker doesn't send bills. For example, the Children and Families Committee only got one bill this year. Seriously. But there was a lot of legislation that went through other committees related to foster care foster children. What kind of committees would they have gone to? It went to the Speaker's Special Committee on Government Oversight and the Special Committee on Public Policy. Hmm. And we don't have... The Special Committee on Public Policy only has seven members, and the two Democrats don't have experience with foster care or family law issues. So they just didn't know the questions to ask. They didn't know... Things that I flagged when the bill came to the floor when I first saw it, Mm -hmm. they didn't flag when it came through committee. And committee is a better place to change bills than the floor because we can get more input. There's more time to think about it. And it's just, and there's more chances to fix things. So if a bill comes through a committee and needs major repair, then we have to fix it on the floor. But if it comes through committee, then we can just tweak it on the floor and make sure it's right. Because in committee, you're also having people testify if they want to, whether it's written or oral or in person, things like that. Yeah. And it may not be necessarily a, what I'm going to call a bad bill on the floor, may not be the results of the fault of the committee. It may be, hey, we just did the best we could. We just didn't know what to ask or didn't know who to bring in to get. So I'm going to guess that the rationale for that is that they either wanted that particular bill to go through, but why would you want a bill to go through that maybe legally or is not meeting all the points at which it could really help? Mm-hmm. What's Why do you believe that is the case? I think sometimes it's bills on things that the, the Republican caucus is split on, like charter schools are a perfect example. Mm-hmm. The speaker was very passionate about getting charter school reform, but that the Republican Party is very split. So to control that, he can send it to a committee where he knows he has like-minded people to get that through committee and get it to the floor. And I yeah. think on the floor, people are less likely to speak out against something that they know the speaker is passionate about. Sure, because they may get shut down <clears throat> or turned off a committee or exactly. right. they don't get any help for anything. Your bills don't, no bills, go to your committee. Is it? Does this ever happen where somebody who's on like the fine arts, I'm going to use the fine arts committee who <laughs> has this health bill, do they go to somebody who's on the health committee who should be getting that bill, say, hey, what do you think about this? Or is there enough time to do that? Because everybody's plate seems like it's full. Everybody's plate is very full. But one thing that fills it is talking to other people about bills. And it's appropriate for people from one committee to go to people who aren't on that committee who might know that issue better and ask. And I had an intern that was sta- actually staffing another committee this year because it was the committee that I had hoped to be on and wasn't put on. And my intern staffed the, com- 
committee and wrote bill briefs and gave them to one of the committee members. Good. Yeah. Wow. And the other factor is that once a bill gets referred to a committee, the chair of that committee doesn't have to hear the bill. Doesn't have right. to. They can just sit on it. Okay. So there are times when you want to go meet with the, the committee chair and try and get them to hear your bill. How receptive have you found the other side being to like a sit down like that, Joe? I find they're very receptive. The conserv the the core group of really conservatives, I think, are not as receptive to what to hearing what you have to say. But I think there is a large, quite a few people in that in the Republican caucus that want to work with us, are willing to work with us, are willing to carry bills for you to try and help them get a hearing or make it to the floor. So I think for the the most part, they are very um, willing to work with the other side. For the most part, there are some. I was talking to somebody the other day about something I got in the budget to give parents attorneys, give money for parents attorneys of kids who are in foster care. And he was talking to a Republican legislator and he told her, this is why it's a good thing. And her response was, I think Sarah Unsicker told me the same thing. Like he, she didn't believe it coming from me, but she believed it coming from him. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so obviously trust is not a word that's uh, really utilized a lot. There are a lot of situations where things work well. There was the human trafficking bill that I worked on this right. year. It was carried by a Republican, and he had filed it first, and I gave him all kinds of suggestions of these are the people who really know this area who you should be talking to, and these are the things I would like to see in this bill. And he took that. He took those suggestions, and he talked to the experts that I recommended he talked to, and the bill changed significantly, and everybody thought it was a much better bill by the time it got through committee. And really, the beneficiaries are the people of the state of Missouri, not somebody's political career or whatever. Of course, that's a different mindset. How about this question? Highlights of the session and lowlights. Give me your one highlight. And give me your one low light. The highlight, I would say, is that the budget team did an amazing job of getting money put in for teachers, for state workers, for MoDOT, for people that have been historically really underpaid and, and got a lot of money put in for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. The highlight was getting money in the budget, especially for state workers. We gave state workers a raise beginning in March, I believe, to at least $15 an hour. And that is money they desperately need. People shouldn't be working and not be able to afford rent. Right. So that was one of the big highlights for me this year. Okay. Low lights or a low light. I would just say all the dysfunction, particularly in the Senate, because bills just didn't, we didn't get bills back. And so things got delayed, like the redistricting got delayed till the very last few days of session. So we sent the redistricting bill to the Senate, I think, the second week of session, and it didn't come back until the very final week. Is there like a, a, a tremendous push then and maybe a pressure to get this done because well, you all sat on this, now you want us to... Exactly. And, and they want you just to take it as they as it is. There's no... You lose that time for compromise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the busiest time in session is the, always the last couple of weeks of session. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when most of the bills get through the legislature. Okay. But I think for me, one of the low points is just the implementation of Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. It is taking 
too long for people to get their applications processed right now. On average, it's 101 days to get an application through the system. Good night. And the federal requirements are that it take no, no more than 45 days. So it's well over twice the recommended time. And nobody who's filing for Medicaid has the wherewithal to file a lawsuit against the state for timely management. There are agencies that have filed not for Medicaid, but for other social service issues. There are agencies who have filed lawsuits, and that's actually how Medicaid expansion became the law of the land, was it passed in the Constitution, but the Budget Committee didn't fund it last year, and the governor approved that and then wouldn't let Medicaid expansion go through. And so Legal Services of Eastern Missouri and some other attorneys filed suit against the state and to get the money, not to get the money raised, but to get Medicaid expansion at all. Okay. Okay. So now Medicaid expansion is in effect in Missouri because of that lawsuit. Ladies, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. We need to have this conversation again. Absolutely. That would be great. That would be great. We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.